J.D. John, F.J. at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Monday, so this is an archive show. First published as a newspaper column sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. This story was first published on April 6th of 2014 under the headline, Cayuse Tribe's World-Beating Ponies Are Now Very Rare. Here we go. Joe Crabb was a gambling man. That much, at least, we know. And in 1871, he'd put his money down on an absolute, ironclad, sure thing. It was a horse race, and Crabb was a horseman. He was matching his own best animal, a magnificent thoroughbred, against a smallish, spotted pony belonging to Howlish Wampoo, the chief of the Cayuse Indian tribe. The race was a big event in the Pendleton area, and everyone had turned out to watch it. Shopkeepers and cowboys from the town, as well as people from Walla Walla, Nez Perce, Umatilla, Cayuse, and other Indian tribes. The non-Indians seemed especially excited that day as they lined up to bet heavily on Crab's thoroughbred to win the race. Crab himself ponied up, sorry about that, ponied up his entire wad, $1,500, the equivalent of about thirty grand in modern greenbacks, plus his silver-mounted saddle and spurs. But then those bettors were confident that they were not going to lose that money. It would be like taking candy from a baby. Crab and his friends were betting on a sure thing. You see, the night before this big race, a few of them had slipped over to the Indian camp and found Howlish Wampoo's horse. They'd borrowed the animal and brought him back to town for a little advanced trial run. The horse they'd found was fast, an excellent saddle horse, as would be expected. But in a head-to-head competition with Crab's champion, the Indian Pinto was just overmatched. It looked like the next day's race would be a day of victory for Crab's horse and a day of dismay for Howlish Wampoo and company. One imagines the white guys grinning with anticipation as they stealthily return the Indian Pinto to the corral and slip back home to their camp. Once there, they no doubt got busy scrounging up every spare cent that they could get their hands on, you know, rummaging in the ashtray and under the seat cushions, as it were. There would be money to be made the next day, money gained by betting on the equivalent of a fixed race. How could they lose? Well, historian William Lyman recounts in his book what happened the next day, as told to him by pioneer O.M. Canfield. Quote, Howlish Wampoo accepted the bets with seeming reluctance and Indian stoicism, he writes. When the horses were brought out, Crab saw with some suspicion that the spotted Indian racer looked a little different and stepped a little different from what he did the day before. As he told Canfield in relating his experience, he, quote, felt a sort of cold chill go down his back. But it was too late to back out. The race was a four-mile sprint, two miles out to a stake, two miles back again. At the signal, the two horses launched themselves, and it was immediately obvious that Howlish Wampoo's horse was not the same animal that the white guys had kidnapped the night before. In fact, as they later learned, the pony they'd pinched had been the champion's half-brother, 
and had been deliberately set out unguarded in an obvious location for the night in hopes that visitors might come. They had been had, and they couldn't exactly blame Wampoo for swindling them. After all, he could put whatever horse he wanted in his corral. He had done nothing but lay a cunning trap just in case they might decide to try to cheat, and they'd stepped right into it. Quote, he, the horse, went like a shot out of a gun and reached the goalpost so much ahead that his rider turned back to run again with Crab's champion and then beat him into camp, Wyman writes. The Indians made an awful clean-up on the white men's bets, howlish wampoo with just the faint suspicion of an inward grin on his mahogany countenance, told Crab that he might have his saddle and spurs back again and enough money to get home on. Pendleton bettors lost so much money on this race that the event became known for years afterward as, quote, the day Pendleton went bankrupt. Never again would anyone in or around Pendleton sell a Cayuse Indian pony short. The Indian tribe that Howlish Wampoo led is not very numerous today. It's one of the smallest of the confederated tribes on the Umatilla Reservation, but in the mid-1800s they were one of the dominant tribes in the Pendleton Walla Walla area. They were the tribe that sparked an Indian war with the famous Whitman Mission Massacre, which it must be noted sprang from a misunderstanding rather than any general disposition to hostility. It was a panicky reaction to the outbreak of deadly German measles in the tribe. The Cayuse were absolutely legendary as horsemen, both as riders and as breeders. In central and eastern Oregon today, half-wild horses of any breed are still sometimes referred to as Cayuse ponies, but technically that name belongs to a specific breed, a world-beating breed, that the horsemen of the Cayuse tribe developed themselves. The breed that made the Cayuse famous and Joe Crab poor was a short but powerfully muscled animal, usually roan-colored and often with noticeable spots. How the Cayuse pony developed isn't clear. Most sources say they were probably bred from Spanish barbs and French Percheron draft horses, but all admit that it's at best an educated guess. As for the pony's abilities, especially in the area of endurance, they were the stuff of legend. Quote, the Indian pony can cover distances of 110 to 130 kilometers from dawn until dusk without stopping, Colonel Philippe Régis de Trobriand of the U.S. Army wrote in his journal in 1867. While most of our horses are exhausted after 55 to 65 kilometers. Although serving in the U.S. Army, de Trobriand was actually French, so he counted in kilometers rather than miles. But the real impact of his account is in percentages. If we can believe him, the Cayuse pony could literally run twice as far in one day as the average U.S. Army horse. In modern times, the Cayuse ponies have become quite rare. According to Rachel Berry of Oklahoma State University, there are just a handful of them left, mostly in California. As of the mid-1990s, historian Jeff Edwards, owner of Edwards Antiques and Gallery in Porterville, California, was scrambling to save the breed from completely fading away. But I have not been able to find word of his success or failure at this since that time. Still, though, it's a pretty good bet that among the Cayuse people themselves, tucked away somewhere on the Indian reservation there at Umatilla, some full-blooded descendants of these fabulous ponies are still quietly munching on bunch grass, perhaps waiting to step out at next year's Pendleton Roundup. Key sources in this story have included works by John and Donna Scovlin, William D. Lyman, Jan Artis Bertrand, and Rachel Berry. That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. 
This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 500 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Other Offbeat Oregon goodies include an active Facebook page, a Twitter feed, a ton of historic photos, and a bunch more stuff. Plus a book, including visuals for today's show and full citations to sources. All these things are accessible via our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Facara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.